You're on. Okay, thank you. My name is Claudia. I'm an alcoholic. Um, my that's my husband's mm -hmm. background. He's an alcoholic too. Uh, my sobriety date is October seventh, nineteen ninety, um, and uh, I uh, got sober in the suburbs of Chicago, right outside of Chicago. Evanston, Illinois, was my first meeting. So. Um, I typically, I, I talk about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today, and uh, it's it's been an interesting ride. I, I learned, it's funny, I learned when I was an adult and having some conversations with my mother that uh, I, I was born restless, irritable, and discontented. And I, I know that sounds funny and it sounds trite and it sounds right out of the big book, but they had to put phenobarbital in my formula when I was a baby to keep me calm. And then later on in my childhood, I used to get debilitating stomach aches. And the solution for that was something called paragoric. And I don't think it sells anymore. But at the time, it was 95% alcohol and 5% opium. And it was what you could give little children for stomach aches. So um, I was wrapped a little tight. I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, when I was five years old, my, my mom and my little baby brother and I went from California. I was born in Los Angeles. Uh, took a train to Chicago to spend some time with my grandparents, and that's when my dad decided he didn't want to be a dad anymore. Uh, so he um, left the picture. He he told my mother to find somebody to uh, to raise us, to adopt us, and 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 have and find a different father. So that's what my mom did after a couple of years, and um, I never felt like I really belonged anywhere and I didn't know how kids have relationships I just did my best again I'm going to go back to I didn't know that was a thing my mother took me to therapy when I was eight years old I had trouble with uh, abandonment issues and things that happen when when kids go through the kind of trauma that I did um what I also learned later on after I got sober and, and did some of that work that's required, I, I discovered I drank because I was an alcoholic. I drank not because my father walked out on us and I didn't drink because of the childhood that I had. I drank because I had a reaction to alcohol that's different than other people's reaction to alcohol. Um, I have my brother, who was the baby at the time, uh, died from this disease when he was 39 years old. I have two half-sisters. They're normal drinkers. I drank with them. I don't understand how they do it. I, uh, I, I've sat with them while they drank a glass of wine and said they'd have enough. Those words never, ever came out of my mouth. Uh, when I was 15, was I 15? Yeah, uh, I was at an event 
that I smoked pot for the first time. And I don't know if I got high, but I do know that I felt very much a part of, uh, it's funny, it was at a temple. It was at a synagogue at two o'clock in the morning. I was in a youth group and I woke up and nobody was around. We had spent the weekend at the temple, the whole youth group, and I couldn't find anyone. And it turned out they were all in the rabbi's office uh, smoking pot. And I sat down and joined them and I felt a part of something I had not felt a part of before. Um, I certainly associated it to the pot and I became a daily pot smoker. I only drank once in high school and that's when I was 16 and we had a bunch of friends come over to the house when my parents went away for the night and we raided my parents' liquor cabinet and I got sick and I blacked out and threw up and in the morning, my mother wanted to know why there was a hole in the wall. Someone had fallen and kicked a hole in the wall. And to this day, I have no idea who did it. My brother gave a full report to my parents of our behavior from the night before. Uh, but so most of the time in high school, I was high after that. And I didn't care what it was. Uh, if somebody told me it would make me feel differently, I did it. Uh, my drug of choice at the time was whatever someone else was doing, and especially if I didn't have to pay for it. Uh, I barely graduated high school, and I did go away to college for a semester. I went to three schools in two years and had five majors and dropped out. Um, I lived in a world of if only. Uh, if I were thinner, taller, more popular, had a boyfriend, had more money, uh, any of the above, um, everything would be fine and, and none of it was. And when I did drink, I drank, I drank like I used drugs. I, I drank for the effect and I drank until there was no more to drink. I um, had some jobs. I met my future ex-husband, and I moved to California. I, 21 years old, I moved to Los Angeles from Chicago uh, because uh, my dad had moved there. My, my mom and my other family, my brother and sisters had moved to Northern California. So I moved to LA and uh, hit a physical bottom with alcohol that I had not uh, hit before. I mean, where I would come home from work and drink until I passed out and I'd get up in the morning and go to work and come home and drink till I passed out. And I, and I did that for about nine months until my future ex-husband called and told me he missed me. So I packed it all up and moved back to Chicago and moved in with him. And we ended up getting married and we had two children and I was miserable. Um, I went back to school I finished college while I was married to him. I didn't drink hardly at all when I was pregnant or um, or when I had gone back to college. But in between, whenever I drank, I drank for the effect and I drank until um, I passed out, blacked out, it, it ran out. That, that to me is, is what, what how you drink. Um, I'm going to say up to this point, uh, 
I had been a spiritual seeker. When I was in high school, I had a crush on the boy who lived across the street. His name was Richie, and Richie was a Buddhist, and Richie chanted Nam-myoho-renge-kyo. He was a Nishirin Shoshu Buddhist, so I thought Ricky would like me better if I also became a Buddhist. So I did, and I went with him to these meetings, and I chanted, and I wanted a new bicycle, and I wanted to get into a certain college, and I was told if I did all this chanting that I would, and I... I didn't get into the school I wanted and I didn't get a bicycle. So I quit. And then I found out that Richie didn't like me anyway. So uh, that was part of a spiritual progress I went through. I used to read uh, Baba Ram Das. I read Carlos Castaneda. I, I read a lot of sort of the spiritual thinkers at the time in the 60s. Uh, trying to find something that would explain something to me that would have meaning to me. Uh, it, uh, I, I pursued some of these just like I pursued taking LSD. Uh, I took a lot of LSD between my junior and senior year of high school. Again, I, you know, at, by the end of that summer, I thought for sure I had achieved some sort of spiritual mountaintop, and uh, it, I hadn't. So, um, like I said, I fast forward, I, I married uh, this man, and we had two children, and we lived in the suburbs of Chicago, and I, was, I wasn't happy. And I remember looking out the window at the house across the street with a glass in my hand thinking, I know if I had the house across the street, then I'd be happy. Whatever it was, uh, some I had I had more money if if I had if I could lose twenty pounds and whatever it was, and I would be happy. And and I started drinking more, and then we got divorced. Um, I I filed for divorce. He was not a nice person. Um, and when I filed for divorce, I started drinking like I was drinking before um, before I had gotten married. I went, when I was in my late teens, early twenties, I. Uh, became a daily drinker again. I I would uh, go to work and I'd drop my kids off and I'd stop at the liquor store on my way back to pick them up. Or if I had to pick them up first from daycare, um, I would uh, stop at the grocery store because it looked more legitimate. And then on the weekends, when he had the kids for the weekends, I would go out and, and just get drunk for the weekend. I would go to bars. I, I misbehaved. I um, was was trying to find something that made sense to me and nothing did. I had a I lost a job because I was not a good employee. I got another job. I was miserable. And in the meantime, I was drinking a lot. Um, I had rekindled a old relationship with a guy that I had known in my late teens who was who had been a heroin addict. Uh, and he and I used to go out drinking. I mean, at this point, I'm in my 30s, and he and I would go out drinking, and he would tell me about Alcoholics Anonymous because he he got clean in Alcoholics Anonymous. He he still drank, but he got clean in Alcoholics Anonymous. So we would we would talk about that, and I saw images about Alcoholics Anonymous on television shows like Cagney and Lacey and um, Hill Street Blues. So I came out of a blackout 
on Sunday morning, October 7th, 1990. And I could not defend my behavior any longer. I couldn't rationalize my behavior any longer. Uh, I had a moment of clarity. I got up at 6 a.m. I peeled myself off the living room floor. I called Alcoholics Anonymous at six o'clock in the morning. And I went to my first meeting that day at four o'clock in the afternoon. And I have not had a drink since my first meeting. Um, I was willing to do everything that I was told at the very beginning, and I didn't question it. Um, I was taking my kids to Sunday school at a, at a synagogue in Chicago. Uh, I was going to this uh, adult education program. I did not have any religious convictions whatsoever. Um, I grew up in a I, I always joke, I grew up uh, gastronomical Judaism. It's, uh, I didn't know what it was that I was supposed to believe. I didn't really have a concept of, of God or a higher power, but I knew how to do the cooking. I knew what foods belonged to what, what holidays. And my mother was, my mother who passed away this, this past May, a uh, devout atheist devout atheist, if you could be a devout atheist, um, and, and, and would espouse it at, at, at the drop of a hat to, to anyone. And, and that was, um, so my dad was, a I would say, he grew up in a very religious Jewish home, and he didn't have any interest in doing anything but, but saying some prayers at the high holidays. But when it came to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, people were telling me what to do. They said, get on your knees. And I'm like, well, my, my religious practice of, of my childhood does not practice getting on your knees. But I got on my knees. I'd lay down on the floor. I mean, I always said that I would get in the yoga position and chant for 10 hours if somebody had told me to do that. Because my life when I was drinking was miserable. Uh, I didn't question what I was reading. I didn't question what I was saying. I just took those actions because people were telling me that's what I needed to do. Uh, it took a while before I started questioning those actions and people saying things like fake it until you make it. And um, that, you know, if, if, Alcohol, if God takes you out of the meetings, then alcohol will bring you back. It, uh, you know, almost threatening that if you don't believe what we believe, then, then you're screwed. And I wasn't, wasn't at a point at, at a certain time to really accept uh, anything else. Um, however, we moved to Boulder City 10 years ago, and I started meeting people that belonged to Secular Alcoholics Anonymous, that didn't practice a God-based program. They were long-term members of Alcoholics Anonymous with um, at, at 
admirable programs of recovery who helped a lot of people. Some men who had been in uh, delegates and trustees of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I started to listen to what they had to say. And I started to have a willingness to say, you know, I've been giving this uh, religious program, which is what at the time it looked like to me. Um, I, I had been giving it lip service for a very long time for myself. And I started having conversations with my husband and I started to going to more meetings and going to uh, widening the gateway meetings and uh, talking to people and realizing that there was space for me to open my mind to what I truly believe. And I, I can't do that comfortably. You know, it's like swearing in public. To me, it's like going to a meeting, a regular meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and talking about what my perspective on spirituality is, is still uncomfortable for me. Good, bad, or other, that, that's how it is. Um, I find that people who are religious don't seem to have a problem talking about their religious program. Um, I, I hear less at meetings about people who are uh, atheists, agnostic, a-religious, uh, don't, don't hear it as much. I, I do hear it because I tend to find myself attracted to meetings where, where people are more honest about that. And to me, it's a breath of fresh air. So I, uh, like I said, I got sober. I, a couple weeks after I got sober, I met a lovely man. Uh, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, I had two weeks. He had about four months. A year later, we got married. We'd been married for over 30 years. Uh, the company he was working for went out of business four days before our wedding, uh, but then he got a better job. We moved. We moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, where we raised our kids for 10 years and went to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and got involved in the fellowship. I went back to school, got a couple degrees. We moved to Sacramento. Uh, where I was working and got involved in the fellowship with my husband and and again um, wonderful wonderful people wonderful AA uh, and then I retired and we moved to Boulder City Nevada and we've been here for ten years and again got very involved in Alcoholics Anonymous I'm in general service with AA I am treasurer of my home group. I go to regular AA meetings. Uh, I go to widening the gateway meetings. Uh, I don't feel uh, a need to say anything different than what I believe. I really, you know, it says on those chips to thine own self be truth. I, it's from Shakespeare. Uh, I could honestly tell you that probably for the first 20 years of my sobriety, I was not true to myself. Um, I, I would say what it is I felt I needed to say in order to be accepted. And then, and it was in the last 10 years that I discovered that um, I, can, I can say my truth. Uh, I don't have to say the Lord's Prayer. 
uh, I had a um, a woman I sponsor call me up. I've, I've sponsored lots of women over the years. I've sponsored women who are from the spectrum of atheist, agnostic, pagan, Wiccan, Christian, Jewish. It doesn't matter. I, I work with other women and I have for gosh, almost my entire 30 years, but I did have a woman call me up and she says, you mean you don't believe in um, the the Father Lord in heaven? And I said, no, I don't. And she was really surprised. She was really shocked. I said, no, I I, I don't believe in that. I said, I follow a set of spiritual principles that the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous um, I am not offended by using the word God. I, I do it in, um, when I, if somebody asks me to read the 12 steps, but, uh, I won't lie. I won't, uh, pretend anymore. And it was a relief. It made me a little nervous believe it or not, and, and it's really hard to admit, it was almost like I, I said the words. I said the words and I said the prayers. For 10 years, I had a prayer partner in Scottsdale, and we used to get up every morning. She or I would call the other, and we would read pretty much verbatim from, I think it's 83 and 84. It's, um, it starts out, God, please direct my thinking, especially the, the divorce it from self-pity, dishonest and self-seeking. Well, you know, there were times I read that prayer that I thought if I didn't read that prayer, that that a hole was going to open up that I was going to fall into. That somehow it was a safety net that wasn't going to be there if I stopped believing. I mean, I, I used to fly an airplane. It's funny, my husband's a pilot. Um, I used to get on an airplane and believe that it was my fear that kept the airplane in the air. And I, I went for a while believing that my life was only going to continue to be as good as it was if I continued to pretend that I believed something that I didn't believe. And one day I had to wake up and say, I don't believe something that I don't believe. And I had to wait and hope that this big hole wasn't going to open up and I'd fall in and it did not open up and it did not fall in. Um, I can honestly say that I envy people who were raised with deep religious faith and continued to have that or found it again when they got into Alcoholics Anonymous because it's, it seems like the easier, softer way. It seemed like they found something that answers unanswerable questions for them and gives them a sense of ease and comfort. And I, and I appreciate that. I really, really do. But I don't, I can't believe something because somebody else believes it. And I see that they they find some truth in that, that they find some ease and comfort in that. Um, I had to get, I had to discover that my ease and comfort came from being honest with myself, uh, living my life with a set of spiritual and principles that don't necessarily have to do with a supernatural being. And, and it's been a process for me. 
No, I mean, I think on the other hand, you know, I looked at somebody like my mother and look at people who I know who are very, very comfortable in their, um, in their belief system. And it's taken me a while. And, and it's interesting because I've, it's like been a very small, little, very small growth spurts of discovering, say that I, I, I asked my sister if she believed in God. Now, my sister is 60 years old. I am 68 years old. And I felt like I was 12. And I'm going up to this four-year-old and I'm saying, do you believe in God? And she's like, well, not really. Well, we grew up together and we never had this conversation. I grew up in a household, we didn't have that conversation. We didn't say that word. We didn't use those terms. We had special events. We said prayers in Hebrew and holidays, but we didn't have that conversation. So I'm, I discovered that it took until I was in my 60s to have that conversation, to have that conversation with myself. What do I believe? What, what makes me true to me? So that's where I am with that. And today, well, we're planning to move again. I discovered my husband and I are on the 10-year program. Uh, we just bought a house on Whidbey Island in Washington State. Uh, we're going to be moving there in November. I have a job here in Boulder City that I have to finish. Uh, so I don't get to move. I have to stay a resident of Boulder City until November. Uh, we have a son who's married with two little babies who lives up there and my husband's sister. I have two daughters uh, who live in Sacramento with another two granddaughters there. Uh, I've, I've had experiences in my life that have been amazing. I don't have a desire to drink. I don't have a desire to take uh, unprescribed medication. Um, I usually don't talk about uh, my medications in meetings because I, I've heard of people have gone up to people and Alcoholics Anonymous and said, you're not sober if you take anything that affects you from the neck up. Well, I, I suffer from depression and I have been treated for my depression for over 25 years. But I don't talk about that in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, particularly because just like I don't say that I don't believe in your supernatural perspective of God, I don't say that at most meetings either, because it's, I don't, I appreciate that you might have an opinion about it, but I've gotten to a point where your opinion about it is not important to me. You know, like I said, I, uh, there are, there are people in Alcoholics Anonymous who don't believe you can stay sober without their perspective of God. There are people in Alcoholics Anonymous who would say, I'm probably not sober because I've been taking a medication to treat my depression for over 25 years. So that's where I am. Um, I, I am in a process of growth. I have been probably for most of my life. I like to remain teachable. I'm interested in studying everything. I'm interested in what people believe. I'm interested in the fact that there are people who are deeply religious. I think it's wonderful. I think people should follow that thing that gives them joy. 
So that's where I am today. I'm uh, growing up in Alcoholics Anonymous and, and grateful that it's given me the space to, to discover who I am and to find a place like this. And I want to thank you for giving me an opportunity to share all of that today. And I'll, that's it. Thank you.